This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 494. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for listening once again. Great to have your company. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Australian seniors are using more tech, but they admit they're still struggling to keep up. Samsung has launched its affordable range of Galaxy A series of smartphones, and the iconic film The Godfather turns 50 this week, and we talk to the team that oversaw the 4K restoration. In the Tech Guide reviews, we take a look at the new iPhone SE. We also check out version 2 of the thin and light espresso displays, and we'll also put the new M1 iPad Air through its paces, and we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, it's been a big two years in since the COVID pandemic, and this period, though, has forced a lot of people to use technology or forms of technology for the very first time. And I'm talking about our seniors in Australia, so our old, older users who had no choice during COVID but to try things like uh, digital digital payments and online banking and Zoom video calls. So they were, it was kind of a they they did, had to sort of force themselves into this situation or or, or be left behind. So th- this was really made made the situation where well it's this way or or nothing. You ha- you really had to to keep up with this this new technology. Now there's a report just been released by National Seniors Australia. And they, they, the findings for that report show that, yes, more tech is being used by older Australians, but the age-old problems still exist. They still struggle to keep up. And they're also frustrated with technology designed for younger users, not really designed with seniors in mind. So really interesting report uh, from, from National Seniors Australia. Now, as I said, COVID really forced Australians into a new way of living, into including some adopting net streaming services like Netflix for the first time, moving into digital banking, video calling to keep in touch, and even using a smartphone for the first time because they had to use apps, they had to check in with QR codes at venues. Uh, so it was a case where a lot of services were moved online or became automated and seniors had no choice but to join in or be left behind. Now, today, a lot of those users who might not have tried these products and services if it hadn't been for COVID have stuck with it, which is positive. So they've stuck with things like cashless payments, using apps, video calling, and those sorts of things. The National Seniors Australia report, though, compared results from the 2018 survey uh, with a repeat survey in 2021. And the results were mainly positive showing that seniors are using technology more than ever and adopting new habits as well, there was still a little bit of discomfort and frustration with solving issues with devices, concern about also digital privacy. So uh, the, the, the pandemic saw seniors, as I said, they, they were, a lot of them bought their first phone. 
They had to learn how to use them. There was a frustration. There wasn't a printed booklet inside, which is what they're used to doing. But tech companies, they they want to save money. It's kind of a numbers game. Most of their customers are savvy enough not to need an instruction booklet, and so they don't print one. And this, this is one, one of a few areas of frustration for older users. For many, it was a time, a first time using Netflix, first time using Zoom. A lot of them never knew what Zoom was before the COVID pandemic. So uh, these, these, these newly acquired skills, this, this technology they were now accessing probably wouldn't have even been attempted had it hadn't have been of, uh, because of the COVID pandemic and uh, the lockdowns and then forced to use this tech to stay in touch. The number of seniors who said digital services made life easier actually rose from 71% in 2018 to 87% in 2021. But as I mentioned, the level of frustration also grew, and that was 32% in 2018 to 46% in 2021. I've been. I talk to a lot of older older uh, Australians through uh, the my, my talkback segments on the two GB, and also through my email through Tech Guide as well. I do have a uh, many many readers and listeners who are uh, mums and dads, older Australians who are, who fit in this category. And I, I did discover from them there's a few areas where they they express some frustration. They they hit some roadblocks. Like for example. Companies just assume everyone has access to the internet and, and it might sound strange to you, You perhaps you're a younger person, it might say, sound strange that, that that's really not a thing for you, but for older Australians, that, that, that's, that's a reality. They, they don't often have access to the internet, if at all. They, it's, it's something that everyone assumes they have, but uh, many of them don't. And the other thing too is that the, the not only are they expected to have access to the internet, they're also expected to be savvy enough to do things like fill out online forms, which, which during COVID, if people were applying for uh, for benefits or relief from uh, from the from being locked down or have not not being able to work, this was a reality as well. One of the biggest bugbears though was that they couldn't speak to a person. Whenever they tried to seek support or some help or tech support, they were directed to apps, to websites, and they just lost that human touch. They, were, they felt a little bit frustrated. But the other thing, here's another key part of the report. It wasn't just about using the new technology, but it was the, the effect of the new technologies, the effect they were having on the community. And the things they were talking about, what were of concern were things like ATMs and self-checkouts at supermarkets with many of seniors who responded to this, this report, many of them expressing a concern that these technologies were putting people out of a job. So it's kind of that old school thinking where a, these people, old, older Australians, love to have an interaction with a human. If they, if they have to pay for something, they're, they're prepared, they pre- pre- prefer to talk to a person and, and have that interaction to, to do that. And same with the, the walking into a bank and withdrawing money rather than it all being happening through an ATM or a self-checkout. So this is kind of really reveals the mindset of, of older Australians. And, and by older, I mean older than 50, 60, 70 and older. Like They're, they're the seniors in, in, uh, in Australian society. Um. The, the other thing that they mentioned too was that digital technology is not being designed for older people. I've got to say that they do have a point here. I think that there is an, an assumption uh, when using apps and going to websites and using certain products that 
that you know exactly how this all works and where to start. I get so many emails from from customers who, who fall into this category. They're they're slightly older. I, I do get uh, from from my appearances on two GB. I do get a lot of emails as a result. And in the first sentence of each of those emails, it says, "Look, I love hearing you on the radio. I love reading your website." And they tell me how old they are. They tell me they're in their seventies. They're in their eighties. And uh, so that's kind of prefaces the problem that that they've really not been able to keep up with all these changes. And and that. The, these frustrations, including the the things not being designed for older people, it, it's it's really I think that the tech companies really focus on that sort of the 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 twenty fours to to thirty eight that, that sort of age group where they're they're buying they're they're, they're buying up technology they're, they're changing it over quite quickly that's kind of the hot spot of the market. And I think at times that the older Australians are left out. They are forgotten and they really struggle. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people wonder why, why do older people struggle with technology? I've been asked this many times. I think the, the, the most simple and basic answer is the fact that they've lived most of their life without it. And, and this, this, this also applies to why younger people uh, are so savvy with technology is because they know nothing different. You put a put an iPhone or, or a tablet into the hands of a two-year-old, they'll probably be able to navigate that device better than you can. They, they know nothing different. And so the, the, there's this assumption then that older people, when they grab these same products, they don't quite have the same mindset. They don't have that same, that, that same approach to that product because most of their life has been without this kind of technology. They've, they've done things totally differently. So adapting to a new way of doing things is difficult. And uh, that's the reason why seniors are struggling at times. I think it's something we that companies need to address, especially in when it comes to customer service. There are a lot of customers who are kind of left out, especially these older customers. They end up coming to me and expressing their frustration. And often I, I act on their behalf and try to get them the help that they need that they've asked for. And uh, and we solve their problem. But that, that doesn't apply to everyone. Unfortunately, uh, there are some that are, that are left out. They're just they're scared they're going to be left behind. So... Uh, really interesting insight into how seniors are approaching tech and their, their attitudes towards technology. Not everyone is as savvy as, as you think, and there are those in the community that need the help, and sometimes when they ask for it, they don't get it. That's uh, a sad state of affairs. But it was an excellent report from the from National Seniors Australia, and if you want to find out more about that, of course, you can head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Samsung have been quite busy in the last couple of weeks. They they launched the uh, S21 FE back in January. Then they launched the Galaxy S series uh, just a few weeks ago. And now they're, they're back at it in the phones with a new Galaxy A series of devices. So these are their more affordable range of phones. And I think they waited a few weeks for the S22s to actually go on sale. And now they're turning their attention to that part of the market, that sort of entry to mid-tier part of the smartphone market uh, for this range of new Galaxy A series of devices. And we're talking prices from less than 300 bucks all the way up to $799. Uh, So I think this is the 
the latest version of the Galaxy A series have really incorporated a lot of the features we see on previous S series phones as well, which is good news for a customer who doesn't want to spend over a thousand bucks. In the reviews later, I'm talking about the affordable iPhone and uh, coincidentally, Samsung made the announcement of the Galaxy A smartphones on the same day that the iPhone SE went on sale, which was March 18. So coincidence? I don't think so. But anyway, the Galaxy A series of devices, the focus of the, of the of the series is the A53 5G and the A33. They're going to be the, the most readily available. There are others, the A13 4G, which starts at 329, the A23 4G 399. Those two devices will later this year be available as 5G variants as well. But the rest of the lineup, the A33 5G is 599, the A53 5G 699, and the A73 5G all. Uh, that's 799. As their name suggests, they are all 5G compatible. That's kind of becoming the new entry level. Uh, the connection there is 5G. Even the iPhone SE, which I'll talk about later, also has a 5G connection. But it's all about providing this experience for customers, and I think that's really critical when you're talking about the A-series. They have to be affordable, they have to have attractive features, and they have to be easy to use, and I think uh, Samsung has brought that all together with the A-series for the customer there. And we're talking about devices that have four cameras, uh, nice big super AMOLED displays with 120 hertz refresh rate, uh, as well as 5,000 milliamp hour batteries across the whole lineup so that's what they've done they've also offering different colors for different uh, different models of the galaxy a series as well but you, you think about it, the, the screen sizes start at well over 6 inches and, and go up to 6.5 inches as well uh, when you're talking about the A73 5G. Uh, the, the series also has a, uh, IP67 water and dust resistance. They also have tough Corning Gorilla Glass as well. Now, the Galaxy A53 5G and the A33 5G have quad camera systems powered by AI, so help you take great photos. They also have the light, the low-light photography features that we saw with the S-Series, so the night photography features also on board. Now, the A53 5G has an ultra-wide 8-megapixel, a main 48-megapixel, 2-megapixel depth camera, and a 5-megapixel macro camera as well. A53 5G has a 12-megapixel ultra-wide, a main 64-megapixel camera, 5-megapixel depth camera, and 5-megapixel macro camera. So in terms of photography, I think you're pretty well covered. And as I mentioned, the, the, the devices have inherited the S-Series night mode so that your images and video at night look a lot better, a lot brighter, less noise, better quality. The other features that you'll find on the A-Series are portrait mode as well, so it helps you get a better image on portrait mode. There's also fun mode, which helps you apply some cool filters to your photo. Photo remaster helps you enhance old and low quality images. And object eraser, which kind of its name describes what it does, helps you remove background objects from your images as well. Now, all the devices have micro SD card slots too, so you can expand your memory up to one terabyte, which is, I think, an attractive feature. Should have been on the S-Series. I noticed the S-Series, they, they kind of did an Apple there where no, no expandable memory. You've got to choose the memory you want. 
I think the S series should have kept its should have kept that as a point of difference to the iPhone and allowed that uh, expandable memory not to be on this latest uh, the 2022 models. Unfortunately, now the A53 5G is going to go on sale April the first with the Galaxy A33 5G on sale from April 22. The A73 5G will also be offered from April 22. Now, customers who pre-order the Galaxy A53 5G from the Samsung online store and participating retailers will get a free pair of Galaxy Buds 2 earphones valued at 219 bucks. Not a bad deal. If you want to read more about the Samsung Galaxy A series, check them out, techguide.com.au. Now, the Godfather is celebrating its 50th anniversary on March the 24th. That's this week. It's 50 years since it came out uh, back in 1972. And I, even though people know me as a massive Star Wars fan, Star Wars nerd probably, The Godfather is still my favourite movie of all time. That's my number one film. When people ask me what's your favourite movie ever, I say... The Godfather. So it was a massive thrill to get the opportunity to talk to a couple of the people who were in charge of the 4K restoration for the 50th anniversary. Uh, I spoke to James McCoskey. He's the film archivist and restoration supervisor at Francis Ford Coppola's American Zotrobe Studio. And I also spoke with Andrea Callas. She's the senior vice president at Paramount Archives. Now, the restoration comes just in time for the 50th anniversary, and it looked over 300 cartons of film that were scrutinised to get the best possible frame for all three Godfather films. So even though it's the Godfather's 50th anniversary, they are restoring, they've restored the entire trilogy. There were 4,000 hours were spent repairing film stains and tears and other anomalies in the negatives. And The Godfather, as you'll hear in our interview, it suffered because of its success. The, ha- the film was handled so much that the negative really took, some, uh, took, took a bit of damage, a bit of a hammering, and they had, to, they had to do a little bit of extra work to get it looking as pristine as possible. They put over a thousand hours were spent on on their color correction as well to make sure that the high dynamic range was respectful to the original vision. I speak about this in the interview too about how the film was perceived to look a little dark. So in terms of lighting, uh, but they've they've managed to preserve that. But it really is you just see this incredible detail with the thanks to the high dynamic range uh, with that restoration. So uh, let's let's now. I, I did speak with James and Andrea about this, and uh, some interesting insights and interesting planning as well went into this restoration. Thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to speak to you guys. I got to say, I did. I had a look at the uh, the four K version of the Godfather, and it looks like you. It was shot last week. It looks incredible. So congratulations oh. on that. Thank you. Thank you, so Thank you. We really appreciate that. I imagine it's uh, quite a project that, that you undertook here to get it looking uh, that way after 50 years, the 50th anniversary, incredible milestone. Uh, so can you tell it, take us through, uh, w- how do you approach something like this? It's quite a massive task. So where do you start? Well, I think start with Andrea. Know, <laughs> all right. 
we knew that this major milestone for one of the world's most important films was coming up, you know, 50, it was around the corner. And so really it was, it was almost five years ago where I started talking to people internally to Paramount saying, we've got to give this one plenty of time. We have to start working on it now because it's going because we cannot not spend the, the amount of time we need on this film to make it because that's what really makes a restoration of this caliber. Great is the time to do it. Um, and, and about that time, um, Mr. Coppola was starting to think about Godfather 3. Right, James? Yeah, uh, I, it was actually very fortuitous because Andrea was cooking this up with the 50th back five years ago. And Francis was also thinking, you know, he had more to say with Godfather 3 and Coda because he wasn't quite happy. Not he, If you ask him, he said, you know, what about 1 and 2? He's like, those are finished for me. But Godfather 3... I have more to say. I wasn't quite happy with it. I can I can tweak it a little bit more and change the name to Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. And so, but he, once he knows, knew that uh, Andrea and the team uh, was going to plan this 50th anniversary, he said, he's like, I'm on board and I need to, I need to be part of that. And so he not only was, he, he, he and is it, is it right, the original cinematographer was also uh, in, involved as well. So that's important to get, so you're sort of looking from their eyes as well. Did that help you guys? Well, Gordon Willis unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Oh, but we do have his recipe uh, back in 2007, 2008. Robert Harrison and Gordon Willis had put together for the first time at the digital, first digital restoration of Godfather and did that legwork of putting together what they could find at that time and their dcp the the final print that they they created in that effort is our foundation of what we used for today so right. gordon was in spirit with us uh, with, with that yeah and so the and it was important to have all the material available too is that right there's more than 300 cartons of film that you went over frame by frame that's did you require a big like- team <laughs> Yeah. A film like Godfather, you know, it's um, and, and many great, great films sort of carry the same, uh, if you will, the curse. They're loved too much. Right. They're they're printed too much. Or in this case, you know, bits of Godfather one were used for two, used for three, used for the epic, used for the saga. So that meant that the original material wasn't necessarily all frame for frame in one long strip. It was in this box, in that box, in this box, in that box. So that's that was one of our massive efforts was to make sure we had combed through every possible box to find every original frame, or if not, maybe a better element than the one we had already. Maybe we could find something that was a little closer to the original so that we would have the best possible starting point for scanning. Everything would be the best we could get. And so it, it, the, the technology helps too. As, as we're moving through, the technology improves to help you achieve this. So what, what can you take me through what sort of technology was used? You mentioned scanning. So mm-hmm. what, what, was, how, what was the process? Well, so the scan, go, go, no, ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. no scanning technology is just better. Um, it's, it's easier to capture more information. Uh, you want to capture 16 bits rather than 10 because you're going on to high dynamic range. Uh, it's gentler on the film than it was back in 2007. So we're not going to damage the film by scanning it, which is great as well. Frame um, stays more stable. Frame stays more stable because of technology for just keeping it st- stable and scanning me- mechanism. Um 
and then so that starts the process and then beyond that um, the tools that James used to do the sort of frame by frame cleanup are just much more nuanced than they used to be so you can really get in there and, and make those small changes without having knock-on effects um, and then of course the display technology for people watching at home has changed absolutely yeah um, right. you know and so doing high dynamic range was you know we wanted to make sure when people this an audience for this movie with this new technology would see it in the best way possible maybe they'd be seeing it for the first time we didn't want to see a, them to see a bad representation of, of course now i want to talk about the high dynamic range that's a really interesting point because i do uh, look and i've got to say the godfather is my favorite movie of all time just like many other people so it's, a, it's an absolute amazing thing that we're going to see it uh, in its best possible form but I did notice, though, the original film was actually quite dark, and not in dark as in the actual lighting of the film deliberately was dark, and I noticed that it, with HDR, it just gave it a, this incredible look and just a lot of detail revealed that wasn't there before. Uh, but I would say it wasn't heavy-handed. I mean, we, we're not trying to go too far afield from the original look or the aesthetic. That would be you know, not, not, not what we're trying to accomplish here. We're still trying to keep that look and feel. Yeah. But still punch it. Give it a little bit of an edge here where, where it's appropriate. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and is there a particular scene that was quite difficult, the condition of the original material? Is there one thing you can point out that was quite a challenging uh, part of the process? Yeah, I think the restaurant scene probably, um, you know, is one we would love to have made, gone back in time and found <laughs> a way to actually process the negative and the existing material a little bit better. I mean, it, it's in the original, right? And um, so you 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 have this thing where you want to make it the best it can be, but if the best it can be is originally compromised, there's only so far you can go. So you can't push it into a place it can't So go. in what way? Like what, what, were you, what, what was compromised? So it was what happened? Some, shot of the or? Early, some of the processing around in the lab wasn't, and it was pushed too far and uh, it just wasn't. And they the ended up- The original cinematographer kind of uh, handcuffed the ability to have a wide latitude with it. So uh, by the process of him shooting it, he sort of built in a, a, a certain degree that we couldn't go in a direction. So it was built in, in into yeah. the look of that, that negative. Yeah, and I understand too. It's not all about just the 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 look of the film, but also the sound of the film too. So there was a lot of work on the audio too. Is that right? Um, in the the five point one was done um, for the, the two thousand seven restoration. That was Walter Murch, um, and we we used that. We did not. We made a conscious decision not to to do Atmos, okay. um, object based audio on this film. But the five one is an important, you know, part and association with the film now, and and it's beautiful. Uh, we did preserve and restore the original mono track that's available as an alternative on the discs as well. Um, so, and that's that's part of our process generally when we work on a film. We try to preserve some of the other things around that film, and this time the stills, all the you know the, the production stills were, were preserved that audio track. So that's another project that we did. Some, and sometimes it, we don't know whether that will end up in a, um, a home media release or not. When it does, it's just a bonus. Absolutely. And, of course, the, the restoration, too, went through to The Godfather Part 2 as well. So 
you did the whole lot. It was a, a massive task. That's yeah, why I told people they're to not get, short films. Yeah, they're not <laughs> short films, and that's why we, you know, and that's why we 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 told everybody we needed to start working a few years ago because I suspected we weren't just going to do one. Absolutely. You know, I, well, even though this was the anniversary of the first one, I just had a hunch. Well, I've got to say it was a fantastic job and well done for having the foresight to plan it for the 50th anniversary. Uh, congratulations. It looks incredibly amazing. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for your kind words. Appreciate it. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, if you're an online gamer, you want the best performance while still helping to maintain your computer's security. And that's exactly what Norton 360 for Gamers offers. The patented Game Optimizer technology can help maximize gaming performance while still helping to maintain the level of security you've come to expect from Norton LifeLock. Game Optimizer can free your PC from power-hungry programs running in the background that eat up your system's resources, helping you get more performance out of your rig. Whether you're a hardcore gamer or just a casual player, Norton 360 for Gamers helps provide multiple layers of protection for your devices, game accounts and digital assets. Norton 360 for Gamers also includes features that help protect against cyber threats including malware and webcam takeovers. If you want to help ensure all the available computing power of your system is allocated to the game for maximum performance, while still helping to maintain maximum protection, then put Norton 360 for Gamers on your team. Listeners of the Tech Guide podcast will receive a 50% discount to a year's subscription of Norton 360 for Gamers by using the promo code TECHGUIDE when they visit au.norton.com forward slash techguide. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Kicking off the reviews this week, the iPhone SE went on sale last week, the same day Samsung announced the Galaxy A series. I thought that was quite funny. But this is a device that has been popular, and it's not released every year, by the way, too. This is only released every couple of years, and it ha- it's had quite the update. Uh, now, design-wise, it's pretty much the same as before, and by that I mean 4.7-inch retina display, touch ID on the home button, similar sh- uh, design and shape, same size, and pretty familiar for a lot of customers. And I think that's a good thing because customers who will buy the SE uh, are used to this design. They may have had an iPhone 6, a 7, or an 8 and want to continue with that with that comfortably with that kind of form factor. So I think the customer who's going to buy this, and look, I'm not the typical customer for this, so I sort of put myself in the shoes of a customer who would hang on to a product like an iPhone 7 for four or five years and want to update to something that's that feels similar in their hand, works exactly the same way, but with updated features on board. Now, I liken the iPhone SE to, to replacing a car. That, like imagine you're driving a really beautiful car, and you want to keep driving that car, but you, it's not quite performing as well. So basically what the iPhone SE is, is there's that same car with a new engine. And with the new engine, I mean it's got the A15 Bionic processor. 
It has 5G connectivity as well. And all these new features that that new uh, processor has enabled for the camera as well. Now, this is the same processor as the iPhone 13. So performance-wise, it's the same story as if you had bought the latest flagship iPhone. Now, that's good not only in terms of performance and, and speed, but also, too, it means that this phone has enough power to handle updates for, to the iOS system for years to come. So it really future-proofs your purchase. You'll be able to use this for several years, just like this, this, this typical customer would have with their iPhone 6, 7, or 8, because uh, they, they were also held on to those older devices for quite a few years. So I think that sense of familiarity is really going to appeal to customers who want a new iPhone uh, but want something that's really easy to pick up, really easy to, 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 to use, but also offering those features that allows them to enjoy the better games and faster apps and things like that. The other thing that's come on board too is 5G. So if they're, uh, if they're in a network area that can handle 5G and the network footprint is growing week to week, then they can also connect at those higher speeds in case they're streaming content, downloading stuff, uploading data as well. 5G comes to the party. Now, I think the... For, look, me personally, I prefer the iPhone 13, the larger display, the multi-lens camera system, that premium design. That's why you pay more money for that device. It's In fact, it's twice as expensive as the iPhone SE. So the iPhone SE, while it still has its own, it's got its own aluminium glass design, has been up, upgraded, by the way. The, the, the glass on the back is now the toughest glass in the smartphone, so similar to the iPhone 13. Uh, same was the, with the screen as well. Um, still has the home button, Touch ID, and, and many will argue, me included, that Touch ID is actually faster and more convenient than Face ID. Face ID takes a second or two. If you're making a payment, there's actually an extra step involved that you've got to look at the phone and, and, it's, and it takes a bit longer to, to get through. Touch ID is instant. Touch ID, you don't have to take off a mask so that Face ID can recognize you, although iOS 15.4 has arrived. So Face ID will now recognize you even if you are wearing a mask. But if you haven't updated, Touch ID has worked all the way through without you having to remove your mask. Now, what the A15 Bionic has done is improve the performance and speed of the device. It's also unlocked several new features of the camera. So it really does uh, give you more options with the camera. It's also created a, a, a greater power efficiency too. So that results in a longer battery life. That's yet another benefit of having that A15 Bionic. Um, with the new chip, the new camera features means better images and better videos. Uh, so it is still the 12 megapixel camera, but one feature that's unlocked is deep fusion. And what this does, it, it adds the texture and detail to optimize your images. It also offers smart HDR4, that's high dynamic range, so adjust the color and contrast of your image to make them look more natural and lifelike. Also included is a new feature that was introduced with the iPhone 13 called Photographic Styles. So these are giving you the opportunity to choose the look and temperature of your images, whether you want a more cooler image, you want a slightly different look and filter to your image, you're able to choose that now in, in the features. Live text is also a feature, and what this is is the ability for your camera to recognise text and phone numbers in images. So if you aim your camera, for example, at a sign, 
It will recognise all the text. It'll allow you to copy and paste that text, but also allows you to act on that text. For example, if there's a phone number on a sign, point your camera at it. You can either take a picture or just have it in the camera. You can click on that number and it'll give you the option to call that number rather than you having to write it down and then type it in with the, the, the number pad on the phone. Same thing too, I've seen another application where uh, say that you're shopping, you're cooking something, you see in the recipe book it's got the list of ingredients, so you aim the camera, you can just select from the image all the ingredients that are in the text from the cookbook and just cut and paste that into your shopping list. So many uses for the uh, for live text, and that's all enabled through the A15 Bionic processor. The phone can also shoot 4K video at up to 60 frames per second with video stabilization. The All those features we spoke about, the camera also apply to the front-facing 7-megapixel camera as well. Now, 5G connectivity, as I said, super fast downloads, play the latest online games, you can stream content from anywhere. Uh, The phone also now has smart data mode, so it'll automatically switch you down to 4G when 5G isn't needed, and that'll save you a little bit of battery. It'll also switch you up to 5G if it's a better and faster connection than the Wi-Fi. So it is uh, the, the smart data living up to its smart name right there. So the iPhone SE, it's priced at $719 for a 64 gig model, $799 for the 128 gig, and if you want the 256 gig model, that's going to set you back $969. I think, look, ideal choice for customers who they want an iPhone and they want the familiarity. Now, I hear all you saying, but you can buy a bigger screen Android for less than half the price, more cameras, more everything, but the one feature that lacks is is the fact it's not an iPhone. It doesn't have iOS. And for parents who may be buying this for their child, like their their children are pestering them for a phone, they want an iPhone, this will probably be the device parents buy for them. And if they're an iPhone family, having this device means that they, they, they can handle things like parental controls, family sharing, just makes it easier if they're all in the same ecosystem. So there is this affordable iPhone that, uh, yes, there are cheaper Android devices, but this is the cheapest iPhone, brand new iPhone you can buy. If you want to read our complete review of the iPhone SE, check it out at techguide.com.au. Now let's talk about Espresso Displays, and they've just released version 2 of the 13-inch and 15-inch thin and light displays. Now let me explain what this is. This is an Aussie company, by the way. They're uh, they're having huge success with this product. This is a thin display. It's 5.3 millimetres thick, 13-inch or 15-inch, designed to connect to your laptop or desktop computer to give you more screen real estate. Use mainly, I think, best use case would be for, to use with a laptop. And in my case, for my review, I used it with the M1 14-inch MacBook Pro, and I had the 15-inch version 2 of the Espresso display and connected to the display to the laptop with the USB-C cable, and it was allowed me to extend my desktop to 
the espresso display. So what I was able to do was to spread out my work. So I, got, I put my email and other, other applications on the secondary screen, and I was able to just focus completely on what I was doing on my main laptop screen. So it does really free you up to help improve your workflow, really helps you stay productive. So to, to having, having that extra space really does help. The touchscreens have full HD resolution. They've got 300 nits brightness. And they also have, like, you know, some tablets have, because uh, these are touchscreens, they have palm rejection. So if you're writing on on the display with the new espresso pen, which I'll talk about in a minute, if, you're, if your palm happens to be resting on the screen while you're writing, it'll reject your palm but still take the feed the, the input from the pencil, the pen. So uh, they, that, that, that feature is on board. There's also speakers in these displays as well. Now, as I said, we had the 15-inch display connected to our 14-inch M1 MacBook Pro. So uh, I had applications running on both sides with the screen, allow the secondary screen allowing me to, say, have my email so I can see them at a glance rather than have to go through and bring that to the to the to the front to the top of my laptop I could see it all the time it was there uh, the, it also allows you to because it's a slightly larger display 15 inch the, the laptop screen is 14 inch you might even have it connected to a 13 inch so more space on the larger one that allows you to you want to maybe run an application completely on that other display but the biggest change is the fact it's a touchscreen. And if you're a Mac user, this is a game changer because Macs don't have touchscreens. They don't have them. But if you connect to the Espresso display, it allows you to control some applications by touch. Like I was able to scroll through my email, so two-finger gesture up and down. I could scroll uh, through my through my emails, select them just with a single touch. Uh, so, so it really does change the game if you're a creative or an editor or something on, on a, using a Mac, which traditionally doesn't have a touchscreen. Well, having an espresso display connected does make it give you that touchscreen experience as well. Now the other additional the the additional product they've released with version two is the espresso pen. Now this is a precision stylus. It's got pressure sensitivity, really great responsiveness too. So this opens things up too. If you want to write and draw on the screen, there's a built-in button on the pen that offers left and right mouse click functionality as well. So it really does allow you to be more creative and productive, even when working with like applications like Sketchbook, like all of the Adobe uh, applications like Illustrator, Photoshop and others now have that touchscreen capability so if you're using this with a mac it does come it does allow you to control it by touch and also with this pen so uh the the espresso pen uh, a great addition to the lineup but what they've also released is new software and this is runs on macs or windows pcs as well it's called espresso flow so what this does, it kind of brings together the, the display with the computer, so really makes them work together, adds a bit more functionality, helps the, with the functionality of the espresso pen, but makes the screen just work that little bit better with the computer. So you're able to control things like brightness and volume and things like that all through the espresso flow, just making it a whole lot easier to do things. Now, the accessories that I mentioned, the espresso pen is one of them, but there are also, they had these with the previous version. There's a magnetic stand, so you can adjust the height and the angle of the screen. There's also a case that doubles up as a stand. That's also available. Uh, and there's the screens themselves. Now, the screens, they're available in 13, 13-inch, uh, 669 bucks. 
15 inch is 749 bucks. The espresso pen, $119. The espresso stand with a magnetic stand is $99. And the espresso case, which can also be folded back as a stand, is 69 bucks. Now, espresso display, as I mentioned, Aussie company, their version two, big improvement over the original version, which was brilliant. I've reviewed that a couple of years ago. But this 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 new version really does help you improve, not only extend your workspace, but also dramatically improve your workflow and your productivity. And especially now in a time where we, we've been working from every, anywhere, whether we're home, we're out, wherever we happen to be, having an espresso display, which is very thin and light and easily transportable with your laptop, is really easy to to set up sets up in seconds. By the way, it doesn't need power because it draws its power from the computer. So if you're connecting to a laptop, all that you're connecting to the computer is a USB-C cable. It's drawing its power from the computer. My couple of suggestions I had was maybe having slightly better brightness. The 300 nits, I reckon, could the brightness could be better. Also, I'm I'm waiting, hanging out for there to be a 4K version of the espresso displays. I suspect that might be version three. We never know. That might be an option. But 4K, especially with the displays, the Retina displays and, and, and other laptop displays that are now moving in that direction, especially if you're a film editor or a photographer, you want to be able to have that kind of resolution to work even better when you're doing your editing. Maybe the next, maybe next time. But for now, the Espresso Display version 2 is pretty good. We love it. You can read our complete review at techguide.com.au. Now, we've got another Apple product to talk about. This is the uh, other device that was also announced at the peak performance event a couple of weeks ago. We've already covered the iPhone SE. Uh, We do have the Mac Studio uh, in the house. We haven't reviewed that just yet. That's coming. But we also took a look at the new M1 iPad Air. That was the other announcement. And similar to the iPhone SE, it was a case of, you know what, keep the same design but improve the processor. Now, in the case of the iPad Air, it now has the Apple's own M1 processor. So uh, I've always classed the iPad Air, I always call it the middle iPad. So it's not quite the entry-level iPad, not quite as expensive and powerful as the iPad Pro. It's like the Goldilocks, sort of the, the, the just right one in the middle. I think now with the addition of M1, they're really going to put pressure on the iPad Pro. I think customers will see 10.9-inch display, a retina display on the iPad Air. They may think that, you know what, this is enough for me. I don't have to spend more money for the, the iPad Pro. Pro 11 inch or the iPad Pro 12.9 inch. Now, those others have things like Face ID, Liquid Retina XDR display, mini LED backlighting. That's what you get with the iPad Pro. So it, it does live up to its name. That is better quality, and that's why it's more expensive. But the iPad Air still pretty impressive set of credentials, so really attractive to customers. 10.9 inch liquid retina display, as I mentioned, True Tone. Uh, it's got 3.8 million pixels, 500 nits of brightness, and anti-reflective coating as well. Uh, the M1 chip includes the eight-core CPU, eight-core GPU. That's two times faster graphics performance as the previous model. Previous model had the redesign, but still had the A. 
13 Bionic chip, I think that one had, but now we've gone to M1, so uh, you you will see an improvement in performance, uh, an improvement in machine learning functionality, so you can do things like editing multiple video streams, a 4K video, play graphics-intensive games, use 3D and augmented reality applications, so it really has taken the next step into using all those sorts of applications even better, even faster, even smoother. Uh, and look, design-wise, as I said, pretty much the same. 6.1 millimetres thick, 462 grams, so really thin, really light. Uh, Touch ID is built into the power button on top. That was the same as the last version. Touch ID on this one, the button's really thin. It's it's hard. It's, it's not hard to miss the button, so it took me a couple of goes sometimes to get the unlock it. But uh, it does, it does I, I, I sort of raise the question here where Touch ID on the power button would be a great feature on the iPhone. I reckon give us a, give us the option of just putting our finger on the on the side button, even though it's an all screen design. I reckon that'd be a good choice. So if you want to choose to use finger ID, fingerprint ID, or face ID, give us the choice. Is that something you'd like to see on the iPhone? I reckon it'd be a great new feature. Anyway, the the what the other new thing is the new colours as well. Like, and I got the new blue colour, which looks pretty cool, uh, different to uh, all the colours that were available last year, including green. I think they introduced green, and it lasted for one version, and now that's gone. You can't get green anymore, but you can get the new blue. Blue is pretty cool. Uh, so one of the things that with the new M1 chip that we noticed was it's faster, 60% faster actually than the previous model, two times faster graphics performance as we've mentioned. And even like we were playing game, we were playing Apex Legends Mobile on this, like a shooter, first-person shooter game. Really, really nice, uh, really nice speed and really smooth. There's 3D design apps like SketchUp. That, that's how powerful this thing is. You can actually create these 3D models and move them around and make them bigger, smaller. Uh, so, and that the, the thing didn't miss a beat. This is the iPad Air we're talking about, not the iPad Pro. That's the advantage of having that M1 processor. Uh, pretty responsive too. It also it works with the Apple Pencil second generation. So if you love using Apple Pencil, good news there. It'll work even better than before. Uh, and and look, I think you'll find if you are using doing things like editing, uh, you you might you you might want to do use it with some AR applications. The iPad Air is going to handle it quite easily. Now, camera wise, there's a 12 megapixel ultra wide front facing camera, which now includes center stage, so it keeps you in the middle of the frame during your video calls, which is pretty nice. Uh, and the front the the front camera the rear camera is also 12 megapixel, and you can shoot 4K video through that as well well and now it is also compatible with 5g so if you want to put a data sim in there it'll connect to the 5g network so you can uh, access uh, your downloads and uploads and stream the latest contents faster than ever before it's also running ipad os 15.4 and that opens up a feature called universal display so if you already own a mac pro or an imac you can use this as a secondary display and even move your cursor to the other screen, move photos, documents, whatever you want from screen to screen. So turns the iPad Air into another display if you uh, if you need that extra screen real estate. Similar to what we talked about with the Espresso display, uh, but it is the, the Espresso is a bit bigger. It's a lot bigger, 13-inch and 15-inch, but iPad Air can do the same. It's 10.9-inch, but if you happen to have an iPad Air and a MacBook Pro, then you can get universal uh, this the universal display happening as well. The iPad Air is available now. It's available in space grey, starlight, pink, purple, and blue. Pricing nine twenty nine for the sixty four gig with Wi Fi, eleven hundred and fifty nine gig sixty four gig Wi Fi plus cellular. 
$1,159 for the 256 gig Wi-Fi only and $1,389 for 256 gig Wi-Fi plus cellular iPad Air, now with M1 processor, really punches above its weight. A great choice if you are looking to get an iPad that's a lot more powerful than the entry level and not as expensive as iPad Pro. The iPad Air could be just the device for you. If you want to check it out, our review is at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. Tech Guide Help Desk is proudly brought to you by Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. If you're after a MagSafe device, earphones, cables, uh, a, a power bank to carry around, Belkin has got you covered, belkin.com forward slash au. Now, today on the Help Desk, I, I get asked a lot about scams and how to stay safe and there is an interesting thing to look out for. I think that one thing people don't realize is there are a lot of scams that are on social media, especially Facebook. There's a, some reports doing the rounds where the ACCC is taking some action against Facebook because they allege that their algorithm attracts people who are more likely to be targeted by a scam. So a lot of people, I know a lot of people that have clicked on ads that are within Facebook and found out those ads are scams, so they're being ripped off, and these are appearing in their feed. Now, you'd assume because they're in your Facebook feed, they've been vetted and that they're safe, but that's actually not the case. So you really have to stay vigilant. You think being on a platform like that, would you'd expect to be protected. Now, Facebook's a place where they will, if you say, if you say something or post something that's inappropriate, they'll take it down before you can say, finish saying your name. Yet, they post these ads that a lot of unsuspecting users are clicking on paying their paying their good money for these products and end up being ripped off. So really take care. This is something that you assume you're safe on Facebook, but think twice, just like any other part of the internet, think twice about what you click, even, even though you are on Facebook, especially when you're on Facebook. This is a place where you really need to pay attention, just like every other part of the internet. And that is full time for Tech Guide episode 494. If you need to find out about anything we've spoken about, you can find it at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch with us, please shoot us an email, info at techguide.com.au, or click on the Ask Stephen icon on the homepage. You, that will also direct an email my way. We want to give a special thanks to, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks again for listening. 
We'll be back with another episode next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. We'll be right back.